end this morning with this question. Uh, What is the difference between a Christian and a disciple? Well, now, in one sense, those terms are synonyms. They're both biblical terms. Um, in Antioch, the people start being called Christians, says so in the book of Acts. And so it's, it's one of the biblical labels, although it's probably pejorative, meaning insulting, that when it first starts being used, it was probably an insult, meaning all those Christ follower people. They're, they're crazy. They're weird. They have a weird Judaism. Our Judaism's better. That's probably how it was first used. But it was used of the disciples. So when it's originally used, those, those things are synonyms. But we live a long time from that, away from that first century. And I don't know that those words are always the same thing. There are people who are Christians. But they don't practice an awful lot of discipleship. What's, what makes the difference? Well, becoming one of those things is pretty much the same, right? You know, our, our, our way of becoming a Christian and our way of becoming a disciple... They both have their roots in Jesus' teaching, right? And Jesus is the one who says, well, in fact, that's it, right? That's the means of entering into the Christ as Christ teaches it, right? This is Matthew 28. This is his last words to his disciples before he sends them out into the mission. And he says, go and make disciples of all nations. And that word, the Greek word for make disciples That's the only verb. So everything that follows explains how you do that. Okay? So baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, that's how you make a disciple. That's the means to accomplish the verb. Right? So that's how you become a Christian. And that's how you become a disciple, because that's what he said to do. By the way, as any of us who know this text well, do you notice anything that's wrong with that screen, that, that thing I've got up on the screen there? Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. I'll, I'll give you a hint. The words are all right. But there's a problem with the punctuation. You see that period there? doesn't belong there. But to the Christian it belongs there. To the Christian who is not also a disciple, it is as if there's a period after that statement. Okay, So that my salvation is achieved at my baptism. I have entered into it. And what is my salvation about? Well, it's about that. Right? You know, my salvation is about not having to have that experience for a really long time. In fact, a time that doesn't end. For the Christian, the emphasis is on the end of time and judgment, not wanting to end up there, and instead wanting to end up something like that. You know, I'm not sure how you start up those stairs, but that's a weird picture. But, you know, wanting to get through that gate, I need to get my skinny rear end through those gates and out of the flames, and that's what it's about. And so my whole concentration in my whole life becomes about making sure that I'm safe. That's what my Christianity is for. Right? I want to make sure that I get to heaven when I die. Well, how do I do that? Well, I, I learn the rules. Right? I've got the rituals. I mean to make sure that I obey the certain rituals and I do those rightly. And I need to make sure that my, that my faithfulness to worship attendance is such that the people around me say that I'm doing a good enough job at that. And I need to... 
Folks, that approach to Christianity is what, what produces Christians that aren't disciples. And you know that you're dealing with a Christian that's not a disciple because you're, I mean, you don't know for sure because you can't see the heart. But you'll know when they abuse you and they mistreat you or they abuse the poor or they abuse the sinner. Why are they doing all that? Because they want to draw lines and make sure they're safe. The call of Christ is to something else. And the place that we really get to something else in what we're called to be is when you remove that period. By the way, I don't believe that is what salvation is. I believe that's an aspect of our salvation. Our eternity is something that has to do with salvation. It really does. But it is not anywhere near the whole game. Because Jesus has called you into a salvation that's already started. Something that's happening right here and now, even in the fallen world and before the renewal of all things. That we are called into salvation right now. And it's in that. If you remove that period, these are the next words that Jesus says. Baptize them in the name of the the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. Okay? That's how you make a disciple. You know, for the most part, we don't have a problem with teaching teaching them everything I've commanded you. As long as we leave out a word, we're all right. Right? Because... We are so afraid of trying to earn our salvation that we don't want our salvation to have anything to do with our obedience. Folks, it has has everything to do with our salvation. But not as a ground of it. It isn't the foundation of our salvation. Our obedience does not produce our salvation. But it is in our obedience that we experience our salvation. We aren't truly saved until we start obeying. Because it is in the practice of Jesus' teachings that I begin to change. And it's not just about getting out of there and getting into there, although that is part of it. That is certainly part of it, but, but there needs to begin here. And the stuff I need to escape, the stuff of hell, is already at work in me. And it is through obedience that I began to find freedom even here and now. So when I ask myself, where does my obedience fit into my salvation? It's not its foundation stone, but it is the building. The foundation stone is Christ. But the Christ's teachings build a whole new life into me. And as I experience that initiation ritual of immersion into water, I'm immersed into His death. And the me that can't hope to obey dies. As I come out of the water, I come out not alone anymore. I come out with the Holy Spirit who is going to help me obey. And in that obedience, my life begins to change. And in that transformed life is my salvation. Discipleship is salvation. See, that when Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations, and He talks about baptism, we immediately go, well, that's about salvation. So is His teaching 
They're linked in that thing. And the making of disciples is a linked reality. They belong together. And so the life into which I am called is a saved life. Not just because He pretends I don't ever do anything evil, but because He builds a new heart into me. Think about this. I think I've asked this church this question before, but I want this stirred up in us. If you had to live there, but you belonged there, would you be happy? If you still had the value system of hell, and you were surrounded by people who belonged in heaven, could you possibly be a contented soul? If you were still as selfish as you are now, if you're still as willing to bear grudges as you are now, if you were still as good at hate as you are right now, if you still had all that mess, or if you had more of it, and you were surrounded by people who just didn't get it, they're looking at you going, why are you, why are you doing that? that? That's a bad idea. If everyone around you was so very alien, you would be miserable. The call of Christ is to have a reformed heart, even here and now. And He is reforming our heart from one degree of glory into another, making us fit for heaven, such that we come to actually belong there. That our our salvation is not just a legal fiction where he says, you know what, I know you're a sinner, but I'm going to pretend like you're Jesus because Jesus died for you. So I'm going to look at Jesus when I look at you. And then that just. No, we're talking about a changed person. Christians aren't necessarily changed people. But people who live as disciples, they experience change. When Jesus says, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, He's saying, go out and train their hearts. Go out and help them to encounter these teachings so that they will then actually say, I'm going to try and put that into practice. The stuff of Jesus is the stuff that we are supposed to do. And as we do it, We inhabit joy. I mean, it looks like it's going to be awful. When you try to do the stuff that He invites you into, it looks like, I'm going to have to die to do that. Yep, that's why He said, take up my cross. Follow me. But when we actually practice the stuff that He teaches, and by His grace we become able to do it, aren't you happier when you release a grudge than when you hold one? Aren't you more content in love than anger? Aren't you better off when you don't manipulate than when you do? The teachings of Christ lead us to true humanity. And they train our hearts to fit us to become what we were always meant to be. But oh man, is there ever... Maybe this is just me. Can anybody else relate to that? As I come into Jesus' teachings and I look at them, they are always hard for me. Now, they're not hard in theory. They're beautiful in theory. You know, turn the other cheek. That's gorgeous as long as you do it. The moment I've got to do it, the teachings of Jesus become ugly and difficult. Well, what's ugly and difficult really is not His teachings. It's me and my nature. Because there's all this stuff inside of me. 
from which I must be saved. There is anger. There is hate. There is the the feeling like I can do it myself. There is the grudges that I carry. There is out-of-control hungers and wants and needs. All of this mess inside of me that is unlike God entirely. And here come the teachings of Jesus, and guess what I end up being confronted at at that very point? When I run into the teaching of Jesus, I find myself hurt by them and saved by them. So that's why we're doing this again. It's been five years. I preached through this sermon series, this, this series once. We're going to visit it again. And I think, you know, if I'm here ten years, we'll do it again in another five. Because I, maybe in eight, you know, in three years from now. Because I don't think we can get too much of the Sermon on the Mount. We need to come again and again to the mountain and set ourselves down into the teachings of Christ. We would not neglect baptism. We ought not neglect the teachings of Jesus either because these are where we find our transformation and salvation. This is where we find ourselves wounded and blessed. This is where we find ourselves broken and made whole. We come to the mountain. And by the way, that may be where he preached this. That mountain right there. It doesn't look like much of a mountain to those of us who live in the mountains, but that's the mount. It's called the Mount of the Beatitudes. Maybe the place where he preached this. We're going to go again and again and join the disciples of Jesus on the mountain and listen to him teach. Because this is where we are saved in the transformed life that comes from the saving teachings of the Christ. As we settle our hearts into it and we encounter stuff that we don't want to hear. And through hearing, we learn to obey. We learn to hear stuff that is so counter to our will. And it reminds us that it's counter to our will. And we think our will is right. And we're sure of it. And then we hear Jesus say, Something so alien to us. Let me give you just a few examples. These come from from chapter 5, the first third of the sermon, where Jesus is teaching about the law and the kind of ethics that he expects his disciples to have. And he comes to us and he says crazy things like absolutely subdue your anger. Anger is not to be part of the Christian's life. Well, that's just who I am. That's who you were. That's who you were. But you have come to the Christ now, and you hear His teaching, and He says that those who insult their brothers are in danger of the fires of hell. And he's calling you to make peace. To make peace with others and to make peace with your own heart. To become a creature of peace. <sighs> or control your lusts. Now, as you know, I'm, I'm finding that as I age... That one's becoming less of a problem for me. I think that as, as we age as people, we come to see more of the penalty of lust and it becomes less desirous. You know? but, but boy, is that ever a driving force in the human person, isn't it? That hunger, that desire for its expression. And he's saying, look, don't even use your eyes for it. Rip them out if you have to. <laughs> That kind of control of my hunger? Are you kidding me? 
or escape lying entirely. Your yes is yes and your no is no and that's it. Well, but if I do that, I'll get hurt. Yes, but you'll avoid a much more grievous wound because it is far worse to be a liar than to be defrauded. It is far worse to be broken on the inside than to be wounded on the outside. Or respond well to evil. If someone strikes you on one cheek, offer them the other. If I do that, I'm going to get hit on both cheeks. Yeah, maybe. But you won't have a heart that hits back. Better to be a person that doesn't strike others. That other person is someone who hits you. But you aren't a person who hits. You're a person that loves. That's what the Christ can do to you. In fact, He can make you love everyone. Yes, even that person. Love everyone. That doesn't sound easy, does it? None of that sounds easy. And folks, that's just the first third of the sermon. There's still a bunch more of His stuff. And this stuff is so hard. But listen, Jesus actually expects this of us. Okay, the Christian thinks he doesn't. The Christian thinks that I got baptized and I took the Lord's Supper all the time and I went to church and I studied my Bible. I learned the teachings of Jesus and that's good enough. And he says, no, I expect obedience. I actually expect you to do this. Man, but are we sure? I mean, because isn't Jesus kind of a great guy? You know, I mean, every time you see him, he's kind of being nice to sinners. You know, so if I'm going to blow it, I mean, he's, he's like that, isn't he? Listen to this. The scribe came up to him and said, Teacher, I'll follow you wherever you go. Now, I tell you what, as preacher, I want people coming back to this church. You know, I mean, that, I want this church to thrive and do well. This guy's a religious leader and he's hearing that. You know, most religious leaders are tempted to go, Awesome, bring your friends with you. What does he say? Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. That almost sounds like he's trying to discourage the guy a little bit. Yeah? Are you going to follow me? Yeah, just understand, that means you're going to be homeless. I don't have a home. I'm camping all the time. Okay, so, (laughs) you really think you can call yourself into this? It's kind of what he's saying to this guy. This guy's got all this exuberance. And listen, you need to hear that because there are those of us who hear the teachings of Jesus and think, I can do that. He's saying to him, no, you can't. And he's saying to you, no, you can't, not on your own. Don't think you can call yourself to Jesus because you can't. You hear and respond to him. He doesn't hear and respond to you. Or, hear this, and another of his disciples came to him and said, let me first go bury my father. And Jesus said to him, follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. Which, you know, is the kind of compassionate thing that I've often said to people who have recently experienced the death. What on earth is he doing? The chances are pretty good that dad's still alive. And he's saying, look, I can't come yet. I want to follow you, but... I've got these responsibilities. And Jesus is saying to him, I trump those. And it's my call to you. You come with me. 
You know, and if he comes with me too, he'll be alive too. But if he refuses to be with me, you come with me. You put me over everything, and I will give you a life worth living. But do you see that Jesus, when he, he's not messing around. He doesn't come to us with gentle, hey, let me try and make you happy, and please, if it's okay, will you obey me? He doesn't do that stuff. Jesus comes with absolute demands on our life and says, I am the absolute, and I'm totally in charge. He's the absolute authority. He's saying, you obey. Jesus, and this is really important, Jesus does not demand this stuff because He wants us to be unhappy. Which makes you happier? The ability to escape anger or the ability to live in it? Well, it depends on how you gauge happiness because anger can be an awful lot of fun. It can be really fun to hold on to your justified grudge and just burn and be mad, and, but no one around you is experiencing your happiness. You let that stuff go and everybody enjoys you a lot more and you enjoy your life better. See, everything that Jesus calls you into is a call into true life. He's calling you to be what you were intended to be, to, to embrace your created purpose. The reason you exist is to be the image of God and God loves everyone. And God is always at peace And God never has out-of-control hungers. And God's never manipulative. He never lies. And God is absolutely willing to take injury for the sake of love. And He loves His enemies, all of them, even me. And so this is what you also are meant to be. And this is where you find your salvation. It's what it means to be a saved person. It's why teaching them to obey was part of the deal. But notice, it's teaching them to obey. It's not just teaching them what my commandments are. It's teaching them to obey. Which is obviously going to involve teaching the commandments. But I'm going to suggest to you that there's also a teaching to obey. How do I do that? Because I will tell you, every time I've ever tried to not be angry... By my, I'm going to not be angry now. You ever done that? What happens? I end up being angry that I'm angry. You know, and the more I double down, the worse it gets. You know, you try to escape lust by human willpower, good luck. There are all kinds of forces arrayed against you, and you are weaker than they are. You're going to give up manipulation? If it's a real problem in your life, no, you're not. You'll try to do it by manipulating yourself. You won't get there. How do I obey? There it is. And remember, I am with you always to the very end of the age. That word end of the age can also be translated as consummation. Meaning, when the the age gets to where I intend for it to be, Jesus is saying, I am with you to bring about the purposes of this age. I am leading you somewhere. And that's not just, I'm going to be with you in the process of making those disciples, convincing people to become disciples. It's also, you know, getting them baptized. It's also in the teaching and the learning. And in the obeying. It is by the Spirit of God that we obey or we do not obey. 
Period. It is by God's empowerment that we keep the teachings of the Christ. You can't do it by human willpower. You can do a little bit by human willpower. You can't. Or nobody would try. If it was so obvious that you can't do it, no one would give it any, any shot. You knew something, but you can't do it. You can't inhabit your salvation unless you're invited and unless He's there with you. But when he, But He promised that He is. And so what He taught you to do, He will help you to do if you'll try. You get to work on it and He will empower you in ways that you could never possibly hope to do on your own. His words will occur to you while you're trying. And His words will empower you and you'll do it. That's a saved person. Because you are saved from what you would have done without Him. And what you would become without Him. But you are not without Him. And so we come to the mountain. And we come to the Christ. And we settle ourselves into His teaching saying, here is my heart. Shape it. Make it like yours. I want to be like you. Oh God, teach me. Oh Jesus Christ, teach me. I like you. I admire you. And I want to be like you. Help me. Because I'm not. But you seem to think I can be or you wouldn't be saying this stuff. Help me, Christ. And he says, I'm with you. Until what I want to be accomplished in this age is done, I'm with you. And what he wants accomplished is you changed. You empowered. You transformed. You beautified. You glorified so that He Himself finds glory in your life. This is the call to the mountain. And this is where we'll be walking until sometime in October. Come with us. And and as you inhabit, just even just the stuff that we glanced at this morning, if you look at yourself and you say, man, I'm a mess. I really need the prayers of the church about that. You brought that up and that's really killing me. And you want people to pray for you? Guess what? Praying church. We will pray for you. And if you need the prayers of God's people, let us know because we will do it. And maybe that you came in here and there's something really heavy on your heart. It's got nothing to do with what we talked about. That's fine. You know, if there's some crisis in your life, again, we want to pray for you. Let us know how we can minister to you. And if you're not a Christian, welcome home. Welcome to Jesus because He wants you for Himself or He wouldn't have done everything He did. If you're not following yet, today's the day to begin. If you're subject to the invitation of God, there's room right here. Why don't you come while we stand up and sing?